It's difficult to be a technology leader. Here at the podcast, we spend our time making it easier for you. And we've gone even farther on this mission than just the podcast. Our goal this year is to help 100,000 technologists level up as leaders with LeaderBits. This could be as simple as you helping level someone else up on your team, you acting as the mentor, or maybe you're a team leader and you're looking to level up into a VP or director role. We are here for you at LeaderBits.io to help you grow as a technology leader. Visit us and ask us all the questions that you have at leaderbits.io. Today, we are talking to Mark Golden, the CTO of Cornerstone On Demand, and we discuss communicating your value effectively, bouncing ideas off of your peers, and optimizing your people by finding out what makes them tick. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Were you part of, were you lead, a leader at Cornerstone when they went public? Yes, I was. I was CTO. I've been here for eight years. Yeah. I've been a CTO for 20 plus years. So not my first CTO gig, but uh, I would have to say, honestly, the most fun, most adventurous that I've had. So it's been good. First time going public as CTO? Uh, no, uh, a third, I believe. Whoa, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Well, each one was a little bit, each one was better than the last and each one was a little bit different. So not your like, traditional taking a company public. Uh, the first one did go public, company called Elite, but it was sort of a reverse takeover of a parent organization that got us listed. So that was, yeah, we went public, but it was in a bit of an unconventional way. Green Dot um, went public actually after I left, but I was still a shareholder, so that was good, but I wasn't there. <laughs> and then Cornerstone finally was like the traditional going public while working there. <laughs> so, so there you go. Well, that's exciting. How did you get involved with Cornerstone? Um, I have a, a favorite recruiter. Maybe I'll mention his name. Yeah, I'll mention yeah. his name. His name is Jim Jonason. And uh, he has uh, placed me twice uh, successfully, once at Green Dot and, and once at Cornerstone. And I got a call from him one day and he said, uh, Cornerstone would like to talk to you, which was quite a funny coincidence because in researching places where I wanted to be, Cornerstone came up. So I thought, well, that's good happenstance. And uh, he connected the dots and uh, yeah, we took it from there. It stood out to you as a place you wanted to be. Are you a lifelong learner? Is that what stood out to you or? Um, I would like to say I'm a lifelong but that's not the reason. I was interested in Cornerstone because right about the time I was working at Elite, which was a traditional software company established uh, late 80s here in Los Angeles. They imported me from England, where I was working previously as their first head of technology. And we were developing on-premise systems because it was, you know, back in the early 90s when I joined on-premise systems for law firms and large professional services firms, time and billing systems, practice management systems. Company grew very quickly, became very, very successful. And towards the end of the 90s, um, the dot-com era was at its peak, and I got very interested in building a software-as-a-service version of Elite. Uh, the name SaaS wasn't invented, but that's essentially what we did. We took a, took a team, took a crack team, and we built a brand-new product from scratch, internet-hosted. It was very, very ahead of its time, actually. Probably it was too ahead of its time, but it was exactly what you would think of as SaaS today. Um, zero touch, enter a credit card and just start going really software in the cloud. And that was exactly the same time Adam Miller was building the Cornerstone business. I was very aware of him. I was aware that Cornerstone had been a SaaS pioneer. 
There's like Salesforce or Cornerstone. <laughs> yeah, early pioneers. I actually just read yesterday that Benioff, you know, one of the co-founders of Salesforce, and his wife, they bought time. I know. Amazing. You heard about I that? Heard. That's crazy. Yes. Oh. Yes. Very interesting. That led me on a little bit of a research to see who owns the other major publications, which tech titans. Bezos, you got Bezos with uh, this one. Yeah, and uh, Laureen Powell, um, Jobs's widow, owns the Atlantic. Really? Yes, That's which a... is a majority stake in the Atlantic. Their design is always super classy. I don't, I don't specific. Yeah. Uh, particularly like read it but whenever i see their covers or some of their articles i'm like oh that's a, such good design well let me ask you so you know benioff is a very colorful character he's larger than life he's a very strong personality and he's purchased time magazine and he says he's going to be completely hands off what do you think of that i think if you know any high achievers like that and doing a purchase that big that he's going to be hands off i i just don't i mean on the he's not going to be writing the articles <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. Who yeah. knows? I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's always that, that undertone of like, it could be hands off, but also have creative input. Right. So, I mean, right. I, I don't think he will be non-existent because why would you not? Like if you buy a 190 million, 190 or 180 million dollar toy, you're going to play with it a little bit. You know, we used to such big numbers these days. It seems like not a lot of money for something so iconic as Time Magazine also. That was my initial reaction. Time Magazine, uh, the whole brand, right? Because they have other things just other than the magazine. So I'm curious, um, what does your day look like at Cornerstone? Like if you were to divide your day into a pie chart, what would the three big areas look like? I'm not sure there's a typical day, but I can tell you the things that I get engaged in. I spend a lot of time with people, obviously. I don't like to just sit at my desk. So I walk around, I see how the team's doing, check in with various people. So it's kind of chatting with my team and with other colleagues to see what's going on see if I can help with anything, see what crises there are, get some questions answered that I'm curious about. So I'll spend some time just doing that, roaming the corridors, if you like. Um, there's always a part of my day which is dedicated to clients. We have a lot of very large clients. Large clients are demanding, as they should be. So I'm normally dealing with a client escalation or a client issue, or maybe a contract renewal that involves a large client and needs some special attention or some special sort of service. There's usually a design opportunity we're architecting some new product, some new opportunities, something we want to focus on. So I like to spend some time in those discussions as well, making sure the team's on the right track, we've got the right people, we're thinking about the right things. That's always very interesting to me. And then there's a usual run of sort of regularly scheduled things. For example, one thing I do three times a week, so you can be guaranteed to find me at least an hour um, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays in our what we call our PRT meeting. PRT stands for Performance and Reliability Team. So we're very into the metrics of the system and how it's performing in production, what's going on, any issues, any optimizations that we need to do. So spending a lot of time there. I don't really have to go to that, but I go for two reasons. One is to kind of show the team that reliability is really important. The other reason I go is there's so much input coming into that room. It's truly, it's truly fantastic. It's a very quick way of sort of continually drinking from the fire hose and being in touch with um, a lot of the things that, that are going on. Um, I spend a fair amount of time on email, like a lot of other people do these days, and I spend a fair amount of time reading, you know, what's new in technology, what's out there, what are the new innovations, who's bought whom, things like that, and just sort of keeping up with what's going on in the world in general. So that's probably a, that's probably a typical day. What are you most interested right now in as far as emerging technologies, things you've been reading lately, other than the time thing? <laughs> 
Oh, wow. Where do I start? There's uh, obviously, uh, obviously a lot. So we, we're, we're engaged in a, in a big move to, uh, to AWS. The public cloud space, of course, is particularly fascinating. It's staying on top of um, the competitive nature of AWS, uh, Azure, and Google Cloud primarily. It's a bit of an arms race. They're, they're leapfrogging one another periodically. So it's important to us to stay on top of that and make sure that we made the right decision and that we're optimizing our move to AWS in the, in the best way possible. So do a fair bit of reading there. And then the best patterns for migrating applications into the cloud. So we have a traditional monolithic application. We've been in progress with the microservices re-architecture for some time. We're moving that into AWS. And so understanding the best way to do that, the focus, the most cost-effective way to handle that. Cost becomes a very big uh, topic when you're moving into AWS because you're moving from a sort of fixed price data center model to a consumption-based model. It's a very good thing, but it's also very challenging. And so understanding the best way to do that, track that, monitor that, 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 consumes, uh, that consumes a lot of waking time. It's really important. I'm also really interested in anything to do with team dynamics, building teams, optimizing teams, managing teams, so the people side of what we do. You know, you've got the technology piece. That's very, very key. Talked a little bit about that, AWS, public cloud. You've got the people piece. How do you optimize your teams? How do you motivate? How do you organize? How do you get the most out of people? How do you allow them to do their best work at your company? That's a very big deal. And then, of course, there's the, the third piece on that traditional three-legged still would be the process piece. You know, what processes are we following? We have a large team. We have 600 people worldwide. How do we keep everybody orchestrated? How do we keep our projects on track? Are we doing the best job at agile development that we can be? And so we spend a lot of time looking at process two and process optimization whether it's doing a better job on the planning front, or doing a better job within the sprint, or doing a better job automating our deployments, and so the process is, uh, is really tied to the technology. There's many ways to go there. So I spent a lot of time on those topics also. Do you bounce ideas off peers or others that have teams similar size to you? Absolutely, as much as possible. I belong to a few groups. And I just have a number of informal relationships and opportunities to do that. Um, we've been invited to various companies in the Bay Area through venture capital connections. Very interesting to go in here and see what other people are doing. Um, I have some friends who happen to have the same job as me, which is, which is useful. So uh, there's opportunities to bounce ideas off there. Um, and then my team as well. My team is also out there. And so we kind of collectively share information about what we're learning. We like to exchange articles. We like to exchange knowledge that we've picked up outside of Cornerstone. It's very important. Frankly, could probably do more of it. Um, I don't know how much is too much, but we could do more than we're doing. I think it, it can be very dangerous to become too insular and not be aware enough of what's going on in the outside world. No, it sounds smart though. Like that's what all the successful companies are doing, right? Sharing, sharing knowledge, engaging with your, your peers and figuring out what works. And then of course, testing stuff, like testing in small teams, different ways of working prior to deploying it throughout the entire organization. We're always testing. We're a pretty self-critical organization. We never really get too complacent, and that's across the board. Actually, who's very good at learning from the outside is our CEO, Adam Miller. He's our CEO and founder, and I've actually learned a lot from his example. He spends a lot of time talking to other companies, spends a lot of time networking, and he often brings back best practices that we didn't think about or haven't heard of. And that's true sort of in a general corporate sense, but it's also true in technology. He's fed me a number of ideas about things that we've actually been able to adopt that have made sense for us. So yeah, we agree. Important. What are some of the like recurring truths? You've been a CTO quite a while. You're very experienced. You're, you're very articulate and knowledgeable. 
and you're saying and doing all the right things. So what are some of the recurring truths that have come up over the past 20 years in your role as CTO? Wow, that's a really good question. Recurring truths. Um, okay, well, I'll tell you one, which maybe is very obvious, but there's a tremendous dependency on people. Um, I could be misconstrued, actually, if I say this the wrong way, but as a joke, I sometimes say to my team, this will be a great business if we can automate everything we do. Because you have so many people dependencies that you could just get people out of the equation, everything would be perfect. Of course, we don't really mean it like that because it's all about people. You can't do this job unless you have great people. But it's a very people-dependent business, much more so than people think. Now, people are not automatons. People have brains, and you're hiring people for their brains and for their independence. So a considerable amount of one's day really goes into, I think, optimizing your people. Beyond anything, it's how to, make, how to help people do their best work, like I said earlier. What makes people tick? What motivates them? How to make sure you can retain them? We've embarked on a number of very large technology initiatives to move the business forward, to move faster, to be successful, you know, to help the bottom line. But a big part of why we do it actually is to keep our people engaged. And that's not unimportant. I can't say it's the primary driver because really the business need is usually the primary driver, but it's definitely high up there in terms of a very secondary driver. Bringing in new technologies, giving people things to play with, new learning opportunities, focusing on a learning culture, that's an incredibly important way to keep people retained. Assuming you're paying well and the benefits are good, you've got to go beyond that. It's got to be a completely learning-oriented environment or you just won't retain the best people nowadays. Yeah, that's really interesting. When you said that, um, image flashed through my head of, yeah. like my, I, have a, I have a young daughter and she had a playroom and recently she had her first birthday. Well, you could tell that we had, she had very few objects in her room, like not a whole lot of toys, uh, but you could tell that she had become familiar with all her toys and would get a little bit bored and then begin to explore outside. And then when we got her the new toys, she like just won't leave her room now because she had her party and she's got all the new toys. And when you were discussing that concept of, of retaining talent by introducing different things into the environment, one of them being like new tools or new technologies, that really, yeah, that really resonated with me because I'm like, I've never heard that or read that or for a retention strategy, but it's what works. It's like, what does keep people around? So, oh, we got, we're learning some, what's, uh, what's this AWS transition or what's Kubernetes? Let's take a look at Kubernetes, figure out what we're going to be doing and how we're going to grow the business and to be you know resilient for the future. And you're right because the, the, some of the brightest people, some of the, um, best talent, they're always needing to be stimulated in some new way or solving some big problem. And that's new toys, new technologies. Right. I like it. Yeah, you got to keep the toy box full. That's a good analogy. The other thing that I think, uh, just thinking about other things that, uh, that are always true, I think the other thing is, and people would like to live in a stress-free, problem-free environment, but you're always going to have challenges. You're always going to have problems. You're always going to have mini outages, hopefully not major ones. You're always going to have challenges. You're always going to have vulnerabilities that crop up or customers that complain. And you've just got to learn how to deal with that and be a little bit thick-skinned, but also responsive in the right way. You do the best you can, but you're always going to have issues. If you expect an issue-free day or an issue-free environment, it's just not going to happen. Uh, yeah, I fully agree. So I'm, you're very, very bright. I'm very curious to know, when, when the people that you work with, when they start exhibiting certain behaviors and you pick up on them like, 
that person's a future leader or that individual's showing signs of, of huge promise. I see they're going to go really far. What are those indicators? Um, communications is really important. Um, you know, you look for people that can do good work, that can solve problems, and that's a key part of it. But those that can't communicate what they're doing or communicate their strategy or interact effectively with their teammates aren't really going to go that far. So we look for people that stand out from a communication standpoint. And that doesn't mean, you know, you have to give public speeches. <laughs> sharing what you've done in an effective way. Sometimes it can even be in writing. People that share information, that want to get people together, that want to share a solution, put something out there, even communicate a problem, even ask a question in an intelligent way. People that can show some leadership potential through good communications. Those are some of the things that we look for as well. Those are great items. And they all take uh, time to really refine. Going through the process of writing a book, that was a big, big leap for me in communication because you have it in your head. Some people are great at speaking, but then when you get it down into writing, that's a, that's a whole different uh, medium. Completely. That's a very nice achievement. Congratulations, publishing a book. I'd like to do that one day. I haven't done it. <laughs> oh, no, you need the knowledge inside of you, my friend. The book needs to happen. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, the other thing I think that we look for is, uh, is people that really, really care. That also comes across. You know, the guy that stays late because, you know, they want to get the job done, that kind of thing. Or the person that really cares passionately about completing something. It doesn't even require you to stay late necessarily. It's just, I really want to get this thing done. It's like a sense of completion and execution, really caring about the client, caring about the solution. When you talk to them, you can see they're really engaged in the problem. That's another thing that I think we look for. We're very fortunate at Cornerstone. When I joined, it's not even, it's not that long ago. It was, you know, 2010, but the company was much smaller. We had a very unsophisticated HR department. Uh, today we call HR talent. It's a fancier name for, mm -hmm. we have a chief talent officer who's also a CTO, if you think about it. My <laughs> title, it's quite funny. We're very, very different people, of course, but uh, we can joke about that. So our chief talent officer is the person that we call our HR director or a VP of HR, but the function is now very, very sophisticated. So when I joined, you know, we didn't have any centralized leadership development function. We didn't have you know, dedicated training functions or anything like that. But today it's a much more sophisticated organization. It's a large team and there's a good central resource I can tap. So I can invest in my people much more easily than I could do a few years ago. There's a certain amount we do ourselves, obviously, with mentoring and just through team meetings and, and encouragement and so on. But we also have this great centralized leadership development function that's now quite formalized. And if I see people with potential, we can put them in that program. We can focus on them. We can develop them. And we can help create our future leaders. Oh, that's awesome. Just doing a better job with in-tech specifically, improving new hire onboarding, and really focusing on building uh, some of these next generation leaders. So because we're a learning organization, this is really important to us, and I think we focus on it maybe more so than in some other companies. That's really interesting. I'm totally, totally agree with that. I'm curious to know. So you have this function, you you notice some people you want to develop, and then you send, what does the program look like? Um, we use a, um, it's a good question. We have a number of off-the-shelf programs that, that we deliver. We have one that we call critical communications. So we help people communicate clearly which actually is good because, you know, I talked a few minutes ago about communications and how important that is. So we help people have these, you know, crucial conversations, I think we call it, I'm blanking on the name exactly, 
but it's a communications course on how to deal with people, how to resolve conflict, how to deal with challenging situations, how to be direct. Um, at our, our large user conference earlier in this year, we brought in a, a speaker actually who's you know dedicated her life to writing about how to be direct and how to have these tough conversations with people. Ooh. So conversations that really, really matter, conversations that can have the most impact. So we help people to be direct and uh, and, and talk to that and, um, and be very, very um, uh, focused and critical about critical in a negative way, but be very direct about what your ask is and about what you're looking for. Uh, the other thing that we do is we have something called Motivating Achievement. It's a leadership program that we purchased on the shelf. We became certified in it, and we help our future leaders how to get the best out of their people in turn. So it's called Motivating Achievement. The whole company has been through that just about. I just did it myself recently. My entire team has been through it. And it's a very good way of learning more about yourself, what motivates you, what motivates other people, and how to take advantage of, of, some, of, those, uh, of some of those skills. It goes into things like goal setting, team building, conflict resolution, and so on and so forth. And there's more. That's what I can think of. Right oh, now. you don't have to tell me the whole. I'm just curious. You just went through one of these. So are these item, um, programs things like you just go into it for six weeks and it's like you complete it? Is that how they work? No, it's actually, first of all, we don't have six weeks to send somebody off of the yeah. program. We, <laughs> we, we, we engage in something I would call micro-learning. Have you heard the term? <laughs> yes, I have. Okay. So micro-learning is kind of a buzzword. There are a lot of companies that have dedicated themselves to micro-learning. Very short videos that you can take. So I don't necessarily mean, oh, I'm going to teach you something for 30 seconds, although we do that too. But so the LPMA program, for example, is a three-day off-site course. You go off-site for three days. But then you come back. And you have regular check-ins with our leadership development team to see how you're doing. There's assessments that you do on a regular basis of your team to see how you're doing as a team and so on and so forth. So it's kind of a constant learning and a constant refocusing on the program. It's not just something you do once and then move on. We're also doing internally a micro learning based MBA program, which is cool. It's an in-house MBA program. You won't be an MBA through it, but we're using existing MBA as a cornerstone to teach courses in different aspects of things that you would learn on a formal executive MBA program using that micro learning format. Short talks on things like strategy, on operations, on motivation, on finance, and so on and so forth. Our CEO actually likes to do a lot of this himself. I don't think he's doing the micro MBA thing, but we bring senior leaders together periodically and he'll teach a course in cornerstone finance, for example, or in cornerstone growth, or in cornerstone strategy. Huh. And so it gives a really good chance to sort of connect with the business and understand more beyond what's just in front of them in their day-to-day -day jobs. And it doesn't matter which department you're in, finance, technology, product support, product management, sales, you name it. Anybody could benefit from this stuff. That's amazing. So you're 100% for the micro-learning. I'm 100% for learning. I think there's many ways to learn. Micro-learning is one good way to do that. And because we are kind of a short attention span generation anyway, it makes sense. People want to incorporate learning into their day as opposed to necessarily carving out large amounts, large chunks of time. I was concatenating amounts and chunks. Large <laughs> chunks of time um, is difficult to do. So micro learning helps, yeah. I fully agree. And what I found for myself as a learner was if I read a book, there's like 20, 30 great things in, in it, but I don't try any of them and then therefore they don't really move into long-term memory because I don't have experience with them. So I only need enough information to then go 
create experience with it. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, if you think about it, you know, the pioneers for this sort of thing with the general public, right? Years ago, you know, you started to realize, hey, I could go to YouTube and find out how to change that air filter or diagnose my fridge or, you know, fix my amplifier or whatever. You know, very, very democratic, very easy to do. So at Cornerstone, we've developed applications. You know, we're, we're a company that does learning at our core, but we do many other things in the talent realm. We do performance management and succession planning and compensation planning. We have a large recruiting module with learning at the core. And one of the things that we offer is the ability to do user-generated content. So you're a manager, you're on site someplace, and you can take a quick video to illustrate how to perform a task, upload that into the system, that becomes a course. Very democratic, very easy to do, very, very low touch, very low friction to getting something into production. No, that's awesome. And, and so the employees get to, you know, the team members of Cornerstone, they get to use this, they use their own system at work, right? We call it dog food. You may have heard the term. I've heard it, yes. We actually call our implementation of Cornerstone dog food. <laughs> and you can go into dog food and you can look up your colleagues, you can look up your compensation information, you can see your HR dashboard, you can take a course. We have thousands of courses available to Cornerstone employees. Many of them are generated through machine learning. We make recommendations to people about the thing they might like to do. We run our performance review schedule uh, annually or quarterly or monthly, however they're doing it through the Cornerstone system and, and so on and so forth. We use as much of it as possible, yes. So do you, Cornerstone, make content or are you just the infrastructure for it? Uh, that is also a really good question. So we were not a content company at all, really, until very recently. Up until a couple of years ago, content was a very small part of our business. We made the platform and we allowed our clients to source content from wherever. So it's an open system. We follow open standards. Clients either develop their own content or purchase content off the shelf. But we realized we were leaving a lot of opportunity on the table and also that our clients really wanted us to provide content offerings. So now we're very much a content company. We're doing both software and content. Today it's mostly through content partnerships. So we resell content in a very, very big way and it's very significant. We have curated content subscriptions, machine learning based recommendations, like I said, but we are starting to get into the content development business also, which is very exciting. Okay, so Amazon. <laughs> Why not copy Netflix, copy Amazon? At one, at some point in the not too distant future, you'll see Cornerstone developed content also. But we've got to differentiate. We can't just do another Me Too course, you know. But we're here. We're in Hollywood, or pretty close to Hollywood. <laughs> no, you have a Hollywood, Florida as well. Yes. So we have Hollywood here, right on our doorstep, and so it makes sense for us. We're building a studio, and we've hired some people, and uh, you know, let's see what comes out of the Cornerstone studio. That's really exciting. When does that hit? I don't know exactly. I think sometime next year you'll see the first courses come out of Cornerstone. Oh, and it's always been a very fertile place. There's a, a lot of challenges and opportunities and a great learning culture. And I, I, I do want to add as well, um, you know, we have about 600 tech people worldwide. We are constantly looking for new people. So if any of your listeners are interested in checking out Cornerstone in more detail, they should check out our career site online, seesaw.com careers. We're hiring everywhere for all job functions, but particularly in technology. And as everybody knows, maybe you do, maybe you don't, it's really an employee's market today. There's such a war for tech talent. And so we really have to work hard, and we do, to be an employer for choice so that we can get the people that we want to keep and grow and retain through the Cornerstone life cycle. 
No, I love it. You know, that actually does happen. I, I've gotten emails from past guests that uh, they've told me, hey, somebody heard me talking on the show and I shared some story and they resonated with it. And I ultimately hired them. They moved across the country and now they're one of my top people. And I, nice. I was like, that's amazing that that's happening. <laughs> it's a big success. That's a win-win, obviously, because we are a great place to work and people can build a really great software career here. And we're always needing people. Always, always, always. Yeah, you've got to, that's, you know, that's one of the recurring um, concepts that's come up a lot recently is the always be recruiting idea. They, um, always recruiting. you know, Asana? Nice. Yes. Okay. So Prashant is the CTO at Asana okay. and they actually have a hashtag, hashtag called ABR and that's how they promote it internally. So they will okay. recruit their Uber ride. Okay. Yeah. They'll recruit their Uber ride. ride. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you mind if I no, a shot, a, he might come over because you guys are, well, you're really close. You're not, you're not in San Francisco, but, um, down the road, you're down the road. I went and saw their offices too. I'm out. I'm actually out in California, like every two or three months to, there's so many guests that come on the show. I get mm -hmm. to just, you know, fly out there and then hang out with everybody. Nice. Uh, feel free to visit if you're in Los Angeles. We have cool offices too. Yeah. We have, uh, you know, lots of special features to keep people happy. We have a candy wall for those that want to... <laughs> Spend a lot of money at the dentist. No. <laughs> we have a video arcade for those that want to waste their time doing that. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> one place to be. And honestly, we actually do believe in work-life balance. We don't. We don't just say it. We want people to have the best way I can put it is we want people to have fun at work. I mean, work is serious, and we do have to work hard. We do have to meet our commitments and satisfy our clients. But really, we want people to have as much fun as possible while they are doing that. Yeah, and that's that's what life is all we're doing life and we're all here together. It's like, let's just be professional, hit our metrics that we need to hit that show our productivity. The reason why we're here, the reason why we're able to be here because a business ultimately provides uh, value into the marketplace and which exchanges for capital. And then we get to grow the business if we're doing well. And so if we're, as long as we're providing that value to the market and doing what we need to do, then there's, there's, that's how we have space for fun. Exactly. And it's important to have a sense of humor. And uh, I think we do. We encourage that. You know, it, 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 you can't be deadly serious all the time. No, that's why you have the elephant in the room. That's right. <laughs> I've got the unicorn in the room. <laughs> so what are you most excited about today? Like what gets you like jumping out of bed in the morning happening at Cornerstone? Well, we just came off a fabulous, fabulous event that I'm still coming down from, to be honest, is we do an annual hackathon at Cornerstone. And so, you know, we like to brand everything. So we just finished Hackathon 5.0. That just means it's our fifth annual hackathon. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know why it's not 15.0 at this point. But anyway, for whatever reason, we didn't always do hackathons. But five years ago, we did our first hackathon. It was very successful. Uh, hackathon entries ended up in our product. And so that was really encouraging. And every year, we've had something really good out of it. So this year was just awesome. I just, I mean, I couldn't go on enough about how great it was. Um, it, we had worldwide participation. And so we have teams in Mumbai, Bangalore, Tel Aviv, Auckland, New Zealand, uh, Sunnyvale, uh, Santa Monica, and I hope I'm not forgetting any. So the, the Cornerstone, there are Cornerstone sales offices that, but that's where I have engineering teams. We just announced that we're building a new office in Salt Lake City, Utah as well. Um, one of the main reasons we're doing that specifically is to attract tech talent. So there's many places we can recruit into. And we wanted worldwide, oh, London, England as well. I forgot, we have a tech team there too. So we wanted worldwide participation. And so we got it. Every major office was represented. 
And the finals were just fantastic. We had a really hard time picking winners, but we got great initiatives out of that, things that will end up in our product and also things that will help with business process improvement. Not everything has to be client facing. Some of the entries were around things like accelerating our move into AWS. One team did a fantastic job uh, showing her how we could do that. Another team did something that would make it much easier for clients to engage with Cornerstone to get product support help. So something which is really good at engaging the client and coming out of our team. We didn't tell them what to do. We gave them some theme ideas, but the teams came up with their own ideas. Every team self-formed. Every team was cross-functional. Every team was diverse from a gender standpoint and an ethnic standpoint. And what I liked most of all, actually, is the winning team came out of Mumbai, India, which was truly fantastic. And it's challenging to be you know, a little bit far away from the mothership and to come up with an idea which was so compelling and so useful that it was the standout number one um, hackathon winner. So that was great. What was the idea? What was the... And it was a product idea, actually. It's a little hard to explain. I don't want to bore you with it. It's a very arcane part of our system, but it's a very important part. And it's something that will appeal to a very important audience of ours, and that's the learning administrator. Big companies have learning administrators that administrate our system and push out learning. Sometimes it's required learning, sometimes it's optional learning. And so when you're assigning learning to your users, if you're a company, one of our clients is a large bank, they have over 300,000 employees, and every single one of them has to use a system on a regular basis. So you can imagine the headaches around managing the learning assignments. So it was a dramatic improvement to um, the way that they could interact with that tool, get data out of that tool, understand the status of all those learning assignments. It's a very, very rich set of functionality that I know will appeal to all of our learning administrators, particularly in large companies. Does that, that make sense? Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, you made your product easier to use for your customers. Then <laughs> <laughs> they won. Yeah. That'll, that'll win, right? Exactly. exactly. So as, as we wrap up here, I'm curious to know, if, uh, are you a fan of Elon Musk at all? I actually am a fan of Elon Recent, recent <laughs> I media think for excluded. a second, because yeah. I'm putting out recent events. Recent events but, excluded. Yeah. Uh, no, he's going to, yeah, he's gone off the reservation a little bit. I wish he'd maybe go quiet for a while. But I'm a big fan, <laughs> tremendous innovator, and he's very inspiring, and he's done some really, really great work. And certainly when somebody asked me that question a little while ago, who should they invest in, you know, it, it was his name that, that I came up with. So oh, yeah. notwithstanding his current, uh, you know, his current performance, uh, yeah, for sure, I'm a big fan. I've read his, board, I've read his biographies and followed him closely for a long time. Me too. I actually swapped this one out between him and um, between Bezos, Branson, and Musk. Okay. These are, these are good. Yeah, these are my... Before, before Musk, I guess if you were to look at all-time greats, it would have to be Steve Jobs. Yeah. But unfortunately uh, deceased. But uh, if you look at the living, I think it would be, uh, would be Elon Musk. Yeah, I was curious too. I wanted to know more about billionaires. I started to interview a few and get to know a few, and I was oh, really? yeah. And so, which I, have you interviewed? Um, not on the podcast, but uh, Arnie uh, Arnie Bellini. Um, oh goodness, I can send you a list after the show. I've actually just so you know, in the past year, I've done over two hundred interviews. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry, in the past eight months, like since December, I've done nine months. Um, over i think like 212 or something wow fantastic yeah. i'm a huge podcast consumer just so you know are you yeah i listen to podcasts all the time i keep finding new things to listen to and to download and it's a, it's a great it's a great medium what, what what do you like what podcast do you like i'm listening to a number of freakonomics but of course yeah, yeah yeah that's a good one it's one of my favorites masters of scale is pretty good 
with Reed Hoffman. Have you heard that? No, but I know. What, how do I know Reed? Founder of LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Oh yeah, he's yeah. um, you know, Kevin Scott, the CTO of Microsoft. Yes. Yeah, he he get, he got that gig through the LinkedIn acquisition. He started to know okay. people. So Reed has got a fantastic podcast. He's no longer he's a VC now, but he was the founder of LinkedIn, and he gets really great people on his show, which is so good about it. The BBC has fantastic podcasts. There's one called um, In Our Time, which is from Radio 4. Melvin Bragg is, I, I lived in England for seven years, so I know the market pretty well. He is an incredible interviewer and he gets amazing guests. It's very academic and it's unlike anything else. He gets three professors typically from different universities around England and they talk about really, really interesting topics like how do bats navigate in the dark? Wow, so I know a lot Sonar. about bats. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> It's, it was, that was a fascinating episode or something out of history. There's a ton of great stuff um, out there. Um, my, my dad's a, an engineer and a big nerd as well as myself. And uh, I got my start in engineering coding from a very young age. And um, as a parent, I realized he was doing this to buy himself time. <laughs> Cause now, I, now I'm always looking for things to keep my, my children busy. Right. And so uh, as an, as a parent, I realized the task you were giving me at age eight, like to you know, move items in a buffer, right. The, or to look up stuff in data sets, uh, were, were tasks to keep me busy for 20, 30 minutes at a time. Little did I know it turned, it has completely shaped my career and my life. And so I'm so grateful for it, but. Um, what's your favorite podcast? Modern CTO. Modern, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, the Elon Musk, <laughs> Joe Rogan podcast, Okay. the topics they covered in that. Now, so I, um, I don't listen a whole lot to a lot of podcasts. I, just to be honest, I listen to a lot of audible books. Okay. Like for some reason, it's like, I've yet to burn through the audible library. There's, oh, you can't, it's not possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge lot. And it's just, there's, there's so many different areas that I need, you know, cause I do the podcast, I do business and um, we're, we're growing our business and it's doing well. And so there's so many different areas. Um, you know, sometimes I find myself reading books on understanding uh, different aspects of the financial parts and the P and L's and the different types of reports and, and how they differ. Right. Cause based on the type of CPA you have, you know, just nerd stuff like that all the way up to the bats stuff. Like when I was young, um, my dad taught me to, uh, you could, how the bats navigate. And so you give us little rocks and gravel and you could throw them up and watch the bats chase them down to the ground. Cause they would think that they're little insects for a second. Little insects. Fantastic. All right. So you know a lot about this already. <laughs> yeah. Well that just really just that one bit. Cause I mean, as a child that we had, for some reason, I lived in Florida, but we had some bats and uh, you throw the rocks up and get them to, to chase the rocks. And uh, then that and driving around to get Slurpees and using lasers to knock out street lamps. Now, as an adult, that was like really, nice. really bad. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah, he was, a, he was in the Air Force and uh, did some very cool clearance related uh, projects. But one thing I remember from my childhood was he had this like uh, two and a half, three foot long laser that would hooked up to a car battery. And, wow. um, yeah, and, and we were being restless one night and he needed to get us active. So we had to run around the neighborhood and go get a, a Slurpee, like 7-Eleven drink thing. And, uh, in the, in the 
drive to 7-Eleven, he's like, hey, let's go see if this laser is powerful enough to, you know, overcome a, a filament inside of a street lamp. We owe the city probably $25, so. <laughs> Uh, so if you go back in time, let's say Elon Musk invites you over. He says, I've got a time machine, Mark. You can use it. You go in, you get one piece of advice to give to your past self. Let's say 10 years ago, like a specific moment in time, 10 years ago, you're going to give this advice to your past self. What would it be? <sighs> My past self. Yeah. 10 years ago. What were you doing 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I was no doubt a CTO someplace. <laughs> I would say, I would say I'd give myself some words of encouragement. Yeah. I'd say, Mark, it just keeps getting better. Ooh, I just like keeps it. Improving. Hang in there. Much as you like this job now, it's going to keep better. Don't switch careers. Stick with what you're doing. Because I might have been maybe thinking about something else back then. I would say, no, 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 stick it out. This is a good job. Technology is getting even more interesting. You know, we're going to get past the depression and the large numbers of people. Because if you think about it, 10 years ago, it was 2008. It was, right? yes. Financial crisis. Um, there, were more, there were more jobs than, uh, there were more people than jobs back then. Today, it's the opposite. So I might have been discouraged about that and the future of tech. But I would have said, no, hang in there because the best is yet to come. <sighs> I love that. Yeah. That makes That's me happy. That's the first thing that pops into my head. <laughs> How early do you wake up in the morning? I wake up uh, between 6 and 6.15 every morning. Nice. Do you do some sort of like um, exercise, aerobics type stuff? I exercise at night. Uh, the morning I set aside for, uh, for learning, actually. Nice. I, I'm up at uh, 5.15. I do a, a run and then run 30 minutes. You know, stretch and run takes about 30 minutes. And then um, shower kick on the audible in the shower, right? So now I'm learning and then through breakfast and then I'm at work by you know, 7.15 and that's when I start doing my writing and um, preparing for, you know, I get an hour and a half, two hours to prepare before my team arrives. And then, uh, yeah, and then I record videos and do shows and all this stuff all day and it's, um, it's amazing. It's good to have, I don't have a routine once I get to work, like I said, because every day is a little different, but it's good to have a routine outside of work that you can sort of set aside for things you really want to do. So, you know, I, I do, I guard that time very preciously, this time in the evening and time in the morning that I want for things that I want to do. Yes. And then the rest of the day, I kind of have to stay flexible and, and go with the flow to some extent. Yeah. I'm flexible once 9am hits, but, <laughs> but you're right. I control, I control what's within my reach. I control my time in the morning things and guard your personal time carefully and that way you have time free for other things yeah fitness is one of the big ones for me because i just uh i don't know i i find it incredibly if if i don't like get to work out or run i am just not myself yeah i go for 30 minute walks every evening usually with the dog that's my primary exercise well thank you so much for coming on and and making a podcast with me i'm real excited you have a good time Yes, I did. It was very easy, very conversational, just like you promised. So I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for your interest. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. It's always great to hear from uh, CTOs all over the world, what you're working on, where your mind's at. You, you're right at the top. Like I, I, I just, uh, I sincerely appreciate your time. And then if I'm out in that neck of the woods, uh, I'll send you an email and say hello. Uh, you're absolutely welcome to. I look forward to that. Uh, please do that. Have a fantastic day, Mark. Thank you. Bye. You too. Bye-bye.